Hey, we're going to be in uh, Romans chapter 12. We're going to take our, uh, our, our points out of, out of right there in Romans chapter 12 this morning. So if you've got a Bible, uh, whether it's paper or digital, and you'd like to follow along, we're going to read a good passage, passage of Scripture there. If you don't have a Bible or if you prefer just to follow along, the Scripture is going to be right up here on the screen. Uh, as you're turning, as usual, I, I start with a story. There uh, is a town in Pennsylvania, it's called Resetto, Pennsylvania, and back in the 1960s, the early 1960s, there, uh, Rosetto, Pennsylvania was the subject of a medical study because what they found was that uh, the people in the, the town of Rosetto, it was about, a, a, about 1,600 people that lived there, they found that the people there had a much lower incidence of heart disease than all of the towns around them. So medical researchers went in there to try to figure out what was going on. And they found that it was not diet. They ate just as poorly as most Americans. It was not healthy lifestyle. They didn't work out any more than, than most Americans. It wasn't environmental things. There was not something going on there that, that helped keep them more healthy than any place else. In fact, the, the researchers were just completely stumped to the point that they thought that it, that it may just be some kind of statistic anomaly. So they continued the, the research over 50 years. And in those 50 years, the people in Rosetto, Pennsylvania, continued to have a lower uh, incidence of, of heart disease, lower rate of heart attacks. And you know what they decided that it was? All these medical researchers, they said that the answer was a strong sense of community. In fact, the head of the research team wrote this in his report. It, in terms of preventing heart disease, it's just possible that morale is more important than jogging. And all of us that hate jogging say, Amen. A strong sense of community. There is healing in community. This morning, we're starting a brand new sermon series called Pizza and PJs. I know that is a corny, corny uh, title, but one thing that, that didn't come out, and let me throw this out here, if you've not seen any of our Facebook posts or anything like that, if you take a picture of you, your kids, your family, um, in your PJs eating pizza, and you post it, and you tag the church, you're going to be entered into a drawing for a $100 gift card from Mr. Gaddy's. And then on the 23rd of this month, we're going to have a pizza party right after the service. So pizza and, yeah, pizza, pizza, pizza and PJs. Why do we call it that? Because we're saying it's all the comfort of home. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about places where the Lord brings comfort into our lives. And this morning, we're going to talk about the comfort in community. And I want to show you some benefits of being in community. So our first benefit is we work together. In Romans 12, starting in verse 4, it says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, 
so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If he's given you the gift of serving, serve well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Now, what do we see from this passage of Scripture? We're different, and God expects it to be that way. We have different giftings, We have different anointings. We have different ways that we do things. Wouldn't it be boring if we were all the same? Lisa and I have been uh, casually house hunting, and we went into this this brand-new neighborhood. It It was odd. Brand new neighborhood. It's just one road right now. There was probably, you know, 10 to 12 houses on this road, and just as we turned to go into this neighborhood, it was almost like we were driving into the twilight zone. (laughs) Every house looked just the same. Every house was painted just the same. You drive down the road, it was the same, the same, the same, the same, the same. Not only were they all the same, they were uncomfortably close to each other. It was, it was a, a weird experience. But because I'm always thinking for sermon illustrations and things like that, as we're driving down there and I'm looking at all of these houses that look just the same, there was no difference in them. I started thinking, is that what people outside the church think about us? all just the same. It all looks alike. Nothing ever changes. But that's not the way that it is supposed to be. God has given us a difference in our giftings. As we we just read, there are different giftings. If we take it just a little bit further, over in Ephesians chapter 4, there's another place where God starts talking about Giftings, ministry giftings. He said there are apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. It looks just the same when we only honor one of the gifts. And in the Western world, most of the time, only one of the gifts gets honored the pastor. But what about everybody else? What about all the other giftings? What about the prophet? What about the the apostle? What about the evangelist? If if the only gift that we ever honor is the pastoral gift, we're going to look just like that neighborhood. It's just the same. It's just the same. It's just the same. I've had some of you come up to me, and you've got that, that, that evangelistic heart, and I know how you feel. You go, why are we sitting in the church all the time? There are people out there going to hell. 
We've got to honor the other gifts. See, when Corey came up, I know we call him Pastor Corey, but when Corey came up here on the stage, that was a prophetic anointing coming out of him. So we've got to make room for all of the gifts. If we don't make room for all the gifts, we're missing vital aspects of the church's ability to work in people's lives. I think everybody needs a pastor. I like pastors. But there's times that we need a prophetic word. There's times that, that we need instruction from teachers. And we need that evangelistic heart to come along and spur us to be the body of Christ, not just a lump that sits in a chair once a week. So we need all of them. If you're a teacher, teach. If you're an encourager, encourage. If you've got leadership, lead. If, if, if you've got a, a gift of giving, Pastor Sam and I will meet with you right after the service. <laughs> but it's, it's not just differences in, in giftings, it's also differences in personalities, right? Yeah. We don't all see things exactly the same. We're not supposed to. Once again, God did not create us just to be robots and all act the same, look the same, speak the same. We see things from, from different standpoints. We see things from, from different experiences that shape our personality. So from our personality, and I just kind of made this up myself, I know that there are lots of, of tests that you can take out there that, that, that'll tell you, you know, what you are in, in the DISC test, what you are on the Briggs-Myers, what you are on the Enneagram. I just break it down and, and put it into these kind of three lumps. I call them caregivers, innovators, and directors. Yeah. Caregivers, innovators, and directors. And I made that up myself, so... Um, if you can't find that someplace, where did he come up with that? It came up right out of here. Why, why is this important? Because caregivers, innovators, and directors think in three different ways, but all of them are important. My wife is a caregiver. My wife is all about how people feel, how that one person feels. She wants to make sure everybody's doing well. There, there's, there's a level of discernment that comes with that. We'll be in, be in the car riding home. This happens all the time. And she'll go, did you see so-and-so at church? And I go, nope. She goes, I did. I think this is going on in their life. Oh, really? So I pull out the phone and I go, dear so-and-so, God just told me this is going on in your life. <laughs> and she's right. But we need that because she's all about people, the, the individual person. We need that. Caregivers tell us who, who to love, who to minister to. See, caregivers run up to me all the time and they go, what are we doing for, let's just say, single moms? Why? Because they've, they've talked to a single mom in the church that, that needs some help. What are we doing for single moms? But then they say something like that to me. This happened just, just last week. Somebody said to me, what do, what do we do for somebody that, that comes in the church that just needs some grounding? 
Well, they were a caregiver. They, they were seeing a need. But see, I live in that world of innovation where I kind of see it from up here. So this person put a seed in my heart. Man, I was already down the road. I'm telling you, for the next three hours, I was scheming and writing all these type of things. Somebody asked me about, about one person who needed some grounding, and I've already created an international school of ministry. Because <laughs> that's where I go, whoa, way down here. But then there's the directors. The directors tell us how. If, if the caregivers tell us who, and the, the uh, innovators are telling us where, then we have those directors that tell us how. Pastor Roger's not in here, and I'm about to say something nice about him. He's always in here when I say something ugly about him, but he's, he's hiding when I'm going to say something nice about him. I, I, I love Roger's heart. Roger will let me float around and just talk about things. Ooh, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this, and then just let me do it. But sooner or later, you know, he'll pull me back down and he'll go, that sounds great, Pastor Chris, but how? Why? Because that's his gifting. It's his gifting. And we need all three of them. But sometimes we discount because they don't think just like I think. What do you mean, how? How dare you, you question me? No, that's his gifting to help us Take that, that, that nugget, that, that person. It started with the person because God always starts with people, doesn't he? Take that person that the caregiver had a heart for. And then the innovator starts looking about where we can go. But then that director's going, going, hey, that's great. And here's how we can do it. So we need all three of those. And we need to honor all three of those. Because... It's all necessary. When we're working together, the kingdom of God advances. In Nehemiah chapter 3, and you don't have to flip over there. Let me give you just a little context of what was going on in Nehemiah. Um, The children of Israel had not been worshiping God, so they they lost the, the protection of God, and they had been conquered by an enemy, and taken into bondage. 70 years later, one of the kings who's now over them says, hey, I'm going to send you back to Israel. I'm going to send you back to Jerusalem. And when they get back to Jerusalem, the, the, the wall around the city has been destroyed. So they've got to rebuild the wall. The wall was for protection. But in Nehemiah chapter 3, 23 times it says, and -and so-and-so was doing this, and next to them, so-and-so was doing this, and next to them, so-and-so was doing this, and then next to them, so-and-so was doing this. And after so-and-so did this, so-and-so did this. 23 times. I think God is showing us we need some so-and-sos. We need some people living in their gifting. They were all not doing the same thing. They were just all working for the same purpose. But when he or she did what they were supposed to do, because there's one part, I always like it. He said, it says somebody and his daughters. So I always tell my daughters, you know, come on. You got to go do ministry with me. As they did, someone else is able to do. As the caregivers use their gifting 
Then the innovators are able to use their gifting, and the directors are able to use their gifting. As the, as the, the prophets go, hey, this is what God is doing. Guess what? That, that, that is not a place of insecurity for a pastor. That is a place of connection. This is what God is doing. Great. Let's jump in there and do it together. And then you're going to have the teacher come along and go, well, we need to teach people what's going on. You know, we just had this going on up here. There were teachers in this room going, well, we need to tell them what's going on. Can y'all tell them what's going on? We need that because we're working together. All right. We also belong to each other. I know that sounds crazy, but verse 5, let me read it to you again out of Romans 12. It says, we are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. So in other words, we take responsibility for each other. We support each other. We watch out over each other. I was having this conversation with somebody a couple weeks ago, and they said, it's kind of like somebody in Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. They have a sponsor. And I got to thinking about it. I go, you know what? That's discipleship. Somebody comes into the program, they've been sponsored, and once they get a level of healing and freedom in their life, they turn and they sponsor somebody else. That's discipleship. I believe it's the kingdom of God. Galatians 2.6 says, share each other's burdens And in this way, obey the law of Christ. In other words, if we're not sharing burdens, if we're not taking responsibility, if we're not supporting each other, if we're not watching out for each other, we are not obeying the law of Christ. And we want to be obeying the law of Christ. I read this story about a man named Charles Plum, who was a a fighter pilot in the Vietnam War. And on his 76th combat mission, his plane was hit, and he ejected, and he was able to parachute down to the ground safely. Unfortunately, he was, he was captured by the Viet Cong, and he spent the next six years in a prisoner of war camp. But after the war, he happened to be in a restaurant back in the United States, and somebody walked up to him and pointed their finger at him and said, you're Charles Plum. You used to fly jets in the war. You flew off of the Kitty Hawk and you were shot down. And he looked at the man and he said, how do you know me? And he said, because my job was to pack your parachutes. Later in life, Charles Plum became a motivational speaker and he always ended his lectures with asking his audience, who's packing your parachute? Who's got your back? Who's watching over you? Because if you don't know, you're not experiencing community yet. We're not meant to be lone rangers, be out there by ourselves. All right, the second benefit of community is we don't have to pretend. Back in Romans 12, verse 9, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what's wrong hold tight to what's good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard to serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, 
and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Let's go back up to the, the top of the scripture. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. So when we're loving others, we do hate what's wrong. The scripture says that, doesn't it? It says hate what's wrong. But it doesn't say hate people, does it? People aren't wrong. We try to make people the object of what's wrong. But he said, hey, what's wrong? You know, you can hate a situation. You can disagree with a situation. You can absolutely be convinced that a situation is not inspired by God without hating a person. So to really love, we take the next step. We hold on to what's good. Find what's good in people and focus on that. So stop hating people, start finding what's good in people. I know that seems so simple, but do you know what people outside of church accuse us of mostly? Being very hateful. They do. So how do we start to, to, to hate what's evil and love what's good? Start loving people that make you squirm. Start loving people that make you uncomfortable. Can I get real specific? What if we started loving Muslims and gay people? Because God loves them. You don't have to agree with everything to love somebody, to show somebody love. Okay? For some of you, it would be uh, loving Democrats. For me, it's loving Aggies. Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Real love honors. Real love honors. So let's treat people the way that we want to be treated. You know, it's it's that old sticky golden rule thing, right? Treat people the way that you want to be treated. I had a... For those of you that don't know, many of you do know, but... Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, back in the early part of the 2000s, uh, I spent a, about five years outside of the church, about five years running from God. I was upset with some things. I'd been hurt in ministry, so I'm outside of the church. And at that time, I was working in media production. Um, and I had a client. And I didn't like this client. He was not nice. He was not happy. He, he, he had been a performer and then uh, had gotten out and decided he wanted to go back into it. So we, we were just basically building a video resume for him. But you know, the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. If you've got a relationship with God, he's given you gifts. He's given you a calling. He's given you an anointing. And even if you try to ignore it at times, it just kind of raises his head. So I'm sitting here with this guy. And he starts telling me all of his life's hurts. And I'm just going, do you like the edit or not? 
He starts telling me about all the abuse that he has gone through as a child. He starts telling me about relationships that have gone wrong in his life. And just all of this stuff is just pouring out, and it's really stuff I didn't want to hear. But you know what? I was the closest thing to Jesus he had been around in a while. Even in me trying to hide, even in me not being connected in in a church setting, I was the closest thing to Jesus he had been around. And even though I wasn't sitting there and asking him anything, it was just pouring out of him. So before it was all over, he'd been to my house, I'd been to his house, I'd been to his parents' house. He's calling me even after we're done with the project for prayer. And this is somebody that would have had nothing to do with God before that time. But it was because I treated him like a human being. It was because I I wasn't looking at him and going, you know, you're a sinner. All this stuff you're telling me, man, that's an abomination before the Lord. You know what? I I just talked to him, and I just prayed with him. And there was a, something that just resonated inside of him to the point he was calling churches, asking if they needed a pastor because I needed to be back in ministry. <laughs> I'm serious. Unfortunately, when we came to the place of, of, of me asking him if he wanted to give his life to Jesus, he wasn't ready to do that, but we sowed seeds. We sowed seeds. It reminds me of another story from World War II where some soldiers were... were serving in France, and, and, and they wanted to bury one of their fellow soldiers that had been killed, and uh, they found a, a pretty little uh, cemetery that had a nice fence around it, and there was a, a little Catholic church right there next to it. So they, they carried their friend into the cemetery, went into the church, and asked the, the priest if they could bury um, their friend in the cemetery. And the priest said, you can't bury him here unless he was a baptized Catholic. And he, he was not a Catholic. And the priest saw the disappointment on the, on the soldiers' faces. And he said, well, you know what? Let me show you this place. It's just right outside the fence. It's very pretty. And he took them right outside the fence, and that's where they buried their friend. The next day, they came back to say their last goodbyes because their, their, their company was pulling out, and they couldn't find the grave. You know, they're standing on the outside, walking all around the fence. Where's the grave? So they went back into the church, and they asked the priest, well, what happened to to the grave? And the priest said, you know what? Um, I I sat up all night long thinking about your friend being on the outside of the fence. He said, so in the middle of the night, I got up and I moved the fence. So here's the question. Are we building fences to keep people out, or are we moving the fences so we can bring people in? Because the heart of God is to bring people in. In the midst of their hurt, in the midst of their brokenness, whatever it might be, we bring them in. So don't build a fence to keep people out. If there is a fence, let's move it. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Right? All right, our third benefit of being in community is there's harmony. Back to Romans chapter 12, verse 14, 
It says, bless those that persecute you. Yeah, these are the parts we don't like, is it? <laughs> don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Well, that's tough, isn't it? That's tough. You just persecuted me. You just did something wrong to me. Hey, let me bless you. Hey, I got a $100 bill. Let me give this to you. That's a blessing, isn't it? Bless those that that persecute you. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. With who? Each other. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think that you know it all. Don't think that you know it all. Don't make me point fingers. Bless and don't curse. I was having a conversation with uh, uh, somebody that attends this church just a couple of weeks ago, and they came to me. And um, in essence, this is, what they, this is what they said. I don't remember exactly how they said it, but I'm, I'm going to tell you, and I'm much more eloquent than they are, so it's going to sound good the way that I say it. They, they came and they said, thank you for loving me just the way that I am. Thank you for putting up with me just the way that I am. Thank you for having enough faith that if you just uh, accept me in, that God will deal with my issues without you having to point out my issues all the time. Because they were telling me a story how they had, had been at a church and they ran into somebody that, that, that they knew and this person came up to them and got on to them for the way that they were dressed, the way that their hair looked, and basically just said, do you even go to church? And they said, yeah, I go to New Covenant Church. What kind of church would, would let you in looking like that? What kind of church would let you in? A church that wants to see people set free. We're not looking for a bunch of legalism and a bunch of rules. We can find rules if we're looking for rules, but Jesus was a rule breaker. He was a, hey, a rule fulfiller, if you want to put it that way. He, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. He fulfilled all of our necessary things through his death on the cross. So we don't have to look at people and go, you're not dressed right. You don't look right. You look weird. Don't come in here. You're the wrong color. You're the wrong sex. You're the wrong whatever. That's not who we are. And in our community, we're going to move those fences so people who are being pushed out of someplace else, you're welcome in here. So we're going to meet people right where they are. We're going to rejoice or cry with them, whatever they need. Now, I'll end with this story. Geese instinctively live in community. When they're flying in their V formation, they are showing community. Because each goose carries part of the weight and makes it easier for the goose behind him or her to fly more effectively. 
In fact, researchers say that a, a, a flock of geese flying in their V formation can fly at least 70 times farther than they could if they were flying alone. We need to be as smart as a goose. <laughs> together, together, we can go further than we can alone. If a goose gets sick and falls out of formation, two geese will also fall out of formation and follow them. And if they go to the ground, those two other geese will stay with that one. You know how hard it is to go from geese to goose? <laughs> I'm trying real hard. The goose this is. That one sick goose, the two geese will stay with them until it is healed, until it's ready to fly again before they try to catch up with the rest of the group. Why? Because it's community. And in community, we watch out for one another. I am tired of seeing people deal with things and they think that the church will not love them, will not walk through whatever it is that you're walking through with you. Because we will. Because that's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of God. Community and together. When we honor the gifts, when we honor one another, we're going to go further than we ever could go by ourselves.